0: Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes
1: it so much more interesting for the listener. Welcome back to At Your Service. Brad Young in with you for another hour here on Camel X. And if you've listened to me in the past, you've heard me say time and time again, At Your Service, from my perspective, means we like to hear from you. I I can talk for 20 hours without taking a break, but the point is uh, we like to hear from you, the dialogue, the exchange of ideas, the conversation. To me, that's what distinguishes talk radio from any other format, from any podcast, from any TV show, uh, from any streaming platform, is this dialogue. We can dialogue by text. I respond to most texts. If you send them in, 314-436-7900, call or text. To me, that's what makes this different. That's why I step away from my law firm on a regular basis to come here and do this because to me, that is how ideas are formed, by conversation and by discussion. And so if you'd like to participate, 314-436-70-900. Hey, uh, Matt Pajewski, I want to ask you to turn your mic on there. And this is the part where he rolls his eyes like, oh, my goodness, Brad, what are you going to do? I'm used to it now. OK, OK, that's good. So, you know, today is uh, National Hot Dog Day. Did you know that? I did not. Yeah, National Hot Dog Day. And there's a debate that's been going on for years. To me, it's like the debate about whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Okay, It's not really about winning the debate. It's about the art of the discussion. Yeah. Okay. So the, the debate with hot dogs being National Hot Dog Day is this. Is a hot dog a sandwich from your perspective?
2: I would say no. I do see that argument where it's a piece of meat between – two buns. yeah. (laughs) But to me, a hot dog is a hot dog, and that's totally fine. They should be separate, and uh, yeah, there's nothing wrong with a hot dog being a hot dog. Well, see, I
1: agree with you. Even though the definition of a sandwich, you've already alluded to it, I even looked it up, the definition of a sandwich from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines it as, quote, two or more slices of bread or a split roll having a filling in between. So that makes it a sandwich, but but to me that definition isn't applicable here because if you had a roll and you cut it and you filled it with chocolate pudding, yeah, okay, would that be a sandwich? That wouldn't of, even that wouldn't even be food. That, or, you know, that's I don't know what that is. I don't know what it is either, but that would fit the definition of a sandwich a, of yeah. having filling in between a split roll. But nobody would think that a chocolate pudding and bread is a sandwich, No, nobody would think that. No, okay? it would be a chocolate pudding sandwich. It wouldn't be a sandwich. It would be something, I don't know what it would be, but I know what it's not. Yeah. And it's not a sandwich. So if we can come up with something that contradicts the definition, then why can't a hot dog contradict the same definition and stand alone in proud glory of a, a quintessential American food item as being a hot dog. It doesn't have to be a sandwich. Like you said, it can just be a glorious hot dog, right. Yeah, there's nothing wrong
2: with with hot dogs and they're they're too different from your ordinary sandwich. I mean, hot dogs are they come with the ketchup and the mustard and the relish. Oh yeah, a Chicago dog's got the pickle on top and the poppy seed bun. Oh, I love those. That's not a sandwich.
1: No, it's not a sandwich. That's a dog. Yeah, I mean, that's what it is. and and I always get I've got season tickets to the Cardinals games. And every time I go to the ballpark, I don't get the, the Vici schwa <laughs> or that other kind of goofy stuff. You can get stir fry. I'm no. sure it's delicious. But, man, when you're at the ballpark, you got to get a hot dog. I, I do one better. I get a brat every time. Oh, I do that, too. Yeah. You can do a brat. That's fine. That's just a derivation of a hot dog. Right. Nothing wrong with a brat. You put a little sauerkraut on it. It's very good. Uh, but i I got to tell you a funny story. You and I, we, we talk because... I was on vacation, and my family and I went to Europe. And being hot dog day, when you were in Europe, what was one of the weirder foods that you had? Well, one of the weirder foods turned out to be one of the
2: best foods I've ever had. In in Florence, we had a Florentine steak, which is just a really thick steak, but it's it's cooked. Rare, uh, rare mm-hmm. which I would never eat a rare steak in the United States, but this is what the locals do over there, and it was incredible. And you know, you, you didn't get sick from it. Obviously, they, if people were getting sick from it, they couldn't be serving it. But exactly, but it was just, it was amazing. And I never would have thought to have ordered a rare steak before. Hmm.
1: Excellent, excellent story. Uh, when we were in, we were we were cruising on the Rhine River, and one of the stops was in Strasbourg, France. And when we were there, we were at this very... My family and I were at this very stylish cafe. We fit. We felt very European, you know, where I'm, I'm drinking espresso yeah. and we're at this outdoor cafe and the waiters are dressed exactly like you would expect French waiters to be dressed. And my daughter wanted to order a fancy salad. So she didn't know what it was because it was in French. And I only speak... This is the only French I speak. <laughs> that's it. That's all, that's all I speak. So... <laughs> She orders this salad, and she doesn't know what it is, but she said it sounded good. So it comes out, and Matt, it was a hot dog salad, <laughs> okay? It wasn't a sausage. It wasn't Wiener Schnitzel, It wasn't bratwurst like you would expect in, in the German, France region, the Rhine River. No, it was an Oscar Mayer hot dog that was sliced up and poured onto lettuce. So it, w- it was not a sandwich, though.
2: Yeah, was there's, there's no bread and there was no them. bread involved
1: okay. there was no bread involved but she said uh, dad t- t- take a bite of this what does this taste like so I took a bite of it that's a hot dog. Is what that is. Maybe that's the was is that the American meal that they
2: have in the back, ready for the tourists to, that's, to show that's, up.
1: That was my thought too. That that oh, we're going to stick it to these silly Americans. Yeah. and we're going to make them eat hot dogs. Yeah, and so maybe that's what they. But who knows? I don't speak French, so I don't know what that was supposed to be on the menu. But they served us a hot dog salad and charged us a lot of money for I it. Bet. Uh but thankfully the exchange rate was was excellent right now cuz <laughs> yeah. the dollar and the euro were on par and so things were crazy cheap so it, it didn't bother me. But yeah, on National Hot Dog Day I just brought to mind that uh, yeah, we went to Europe, ordered an expensive meal and it was a hot dog salad. Never heard of that. Never want to have that again. We got more stuff to cover as the show unfolds this evening at your service, Camelax, don't go away. There's been a, a lot, in addition to the frivolity of is hot dog a sandwich or not, uh, there's been a lot of legal constitutional issues that have been in the news here in the last few days. And since I haven't been with you for three weeks, uh, this is the this is just news from this week. But I, I always collect ideas for the show. And I collect them in an e- my, my email, Camo X ideas folder, was overflowing. Uh, so I've got like 20 hours of material for tonight, and I've only got another uh, 40 minutes. So uh, I don't know how that's going to work. I guess we need time travel to get back to a Star Trek theme. But, uh, but one of the things that's come up is, and it actually it happened today, was that uh, there was a member of Congress, it is uh, Senator Merkley. He called, he's from, uh, I believe he's uh, from Washington, I believe. Senator Merkley, I'm not sure, but Senator Merkley came out today and he announced that he wants the president to be unchained because of the losses that Biden has suffered in Congress and the losses that he suffered at the Supreme Court level. He wants the president to be unchained and he wants the president to go and use executive actions to accomplish what cannot be accomplished legislatively, or legally. And while that sounds really good, I was a, a, I was a very vocal opponent of President Trump when he was taking many of the same types of steps and actions by trying to legislate via executive authority, by executive orders. And, of course, the news media was routinely... Lock, stock and barrel in for criticizing President Trump whenever he tried to bypass Congress to get his own agenda accomplished via executive orders. And yet now I'm I'm not only am I not hearing any criticism of President Biden doing that, which he's been doing it recently with regard to abortion and climate change and student loan debt and other things. But I hear applause coming from the mainstream media. And that's just not consistent. It's not consistent. And I was very consistent in my criticisms of President Trump when he did it. And I'm going to be very consistent in my criticisms of President Biden when he does the same. If if you want to, if you really are needing something to put you to sleep and you don't like melatonin, go read the Federalist number 51. Uh, <laughs> the Federalist papers, they're fantastic because they describe the concepts, and the understanding behind our constitutional system of government. And in The Federalist Number 51, in that, James Madison talks about this division of authority between the three branches of government. And it's not just a division of authority to make it easier. It's a division of authority conceptually to ensure good government. How does that work? Well, Madison believed that the three branches of government would would preserve the balance of the Constitution by using the institutional interests of each branch against the other. So what do I mean by that? Well, Congress would say Congress gets to do everything. The president would say the president gets to do everything. And the court says the court gets to do everything. And because all three are pulling in different directions, that balance of power prevents any one institution from having too much power. Because remember, when the Constitution was drafted and went into effect in the 1780s, the biggest concern on the planet at that time was the tyranny of kings, the tyranny of kings. So our system prevented the tyranny of kings because that was the greatest threat to the planet. Whether it was the British king, Spanish king, French kings, didn't matter— the tyranny of kings was the greatest threat. And so to me, it's troubling that when a member of Congress, instead of saying this is a legislative authority here, Mr. President, you cannot exercise presidential authority here. Now we have members of Congress and the progressive, the progressive coalition has even given bullet points, issued bullet points for what the president should do to bypass Congress. And to me, that is something that I think James Madison could not have envisioned that members of a political party in Congress would throw in the towel on their own institutional authority for the sole purpose of advancing an agenda. And so we heard during the Trump years, and I think rightfully so. Listen, I'm not and have never been a Trump cheerleader, but in that regard, um, I certainly like his picks for the Supreme Court, I will tell you that. But in, but in this concept that I'm talking about of, of the separation of power, Trump didn't like that because that doesn't fit in within a CEO mentality. If you're the CEO of a corporation, yes, you have a board of directors, but we all know in the corporate uh, world today, more often than not, the board of directors is subservient to the CEO. And so many times the board of directors simply enables what the CEO says is going to happen. And Trump tried to bring that decision-making authority to government, and it just can't work that way in our system. And the media was, was rightly critical of that. And yet now we have the members of the left who are calling for the president to exercise the very same authority that they criticized for four years during the Trump administration. And to me, that's a problem. It was a problem going back. I mean, it's been a problem for every president. But I'm also reminded of even former President Barack Obama, when he announced that he intended to go it alone uh, in achieving his policy goals and refusing to yield to actions of Congress. That's the exact same thing. And we're hearing calls today for President Biden to follow that same path. It's a path followed by Trump. It was wrong for him. It was wrong for Biden. It's wrong. It was wrong for Obama. And it's wrong for Biden as well. And I would certainly hope that it doesn't go that way. Because if you buy into that concept of leadership, folks, you're asking for a dictator. And I don't believe that in our country today, we want to A dictator. That's what James Madison and the and the framers of the Constitution worked brilliantly to keep from happening. We shouldn't be throwing in the towel now. Hey, we got to take a break. We'll be back. Phone lines are open as always. 314 436 7900 at your service, Camo X. Hey, welcome back to At Your Service. I've been responding to several of the texts that I get in, and I always respond to texts. I also always respond to emails. Uh, my law firm, Harris, Dowell, Fisher & Young, if you ever want to send me an email, I respond to everyone. I always love feedback. My uh, my email address is young B-Y-O-U-N-G, at harrisdowell.com, H-A-R-R-I-S, as in Sam, D as in David, O w e l l. .com always love to hear from listeners. Uh hey Matt if I can bug you again what's your what's your favorite do you have a favorite streaming service that you watch more um, than any other? Probably Netflix. Yeah is yeah. there is there a sh- one show that drives it or is it the types of shows or more than one show that they have available? I think it's probably just because Seinfeld is on Netflix and that's my favorite <laughs> show. <laughs> uh well I I can agree with that. You know and it's really funny that 'Cause Seinfeld is really in with the twenty somethings today.
2: Yeah. Some of the old like ninety sitcoms like Seinfeld and Friends are, are coming back now because they're on the streaming services.
1: Yeah, my uh my daughters, all my daughters are are twenty or close to it and in their twenties. And they're always quoting Seinfeld to me. <laughs> That's and, or friends. Yeah. And oh, you know, in this episode when so and so, when Tom Selleck was on and so and so they're quoting these things to me and I'm thinking, you know, hey, wow, I I was I was raising kids when those shows right. were on the first time around, uh, but it, one of the things that I I pay for Hulu, and I pay for Hulu to get one show and one show only, only "Murders in the Building." Have you have you seen that?
2: No. Well, first off, I thought you were going to say like the the next gen Star Trek TV show or something oh. was on Hulu.
1: <laughs> I don't no, know. No, all is, that though. stuff's on Paramount Plus, oh, okay. and yeah, I pay for that too, <laughs> but uh, just to get the Star Trek shows. But there's there's more than one of those. Uh, and it's really funny. I just had a friend of mine texting me Star Trek questions after my interview with Dr. Ogliori, the astrophysicist. But uh, uh, but no, I I get Hulu just to watch Only Murders in the Building, and I'm in the second season of that show, and it's Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez. And I, I you know it's not like I'm getting free Hulu because I'm mentioning this because I'm not, but that show is just hilarious, and. I imagine that the script for that show is practically non-existent because it seems like Steve Martin and Martin Short are just ad libbing the entire time it is it is truly truly hilarious, and uh, you need to watch it. One of the things uh that i and I reason why I mentioned streaming services is because I buy the software i'm the I'm the tech guy for my law firm, so we've got an outside tech company, and when it's over my head, we call them but most day to day issues that come up. I've got to deal with it. And one of the, my enormous pet peeves about software now is subscription services. So for example, if you want if you want uh, a Microsoft Office, oh, it's only 50 bucks a month per user. Well, you, I've got my whole law firm. I've got attorneys. I've got paralegals. I've got admins. Everybody needs office. I don't want a subscription service. I want to buy the software and I want to use it for as long as possible. I don't want to pay a monthly fee. But everything is moving towards the the monthly fee model. And, of course, now we're seeing that with streaming services, where if you want to even cut the cord to save money, it really costs you more money at the end because when you buy Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus and Netflix and all the other ones, I mentioned it twice, I think, but Paramount Plus, you add them all up, you're spending more money than you used to spend just watching cable television. Now, I think the product is better when I'm watching some of these streaming shows. Like, uh, uh, for example, I just finished the Umbrella Academy. You're not, you're not going to see that level of writing and special effects on a regular network television show. You're just not going to see it. So it is better. But the monthly fee drives me crazy. But this is the first, speaking of the monthly fee. I saw this story this week and I was shocked that (laughs) there was a rumor and I'm going to delve into the details of this rumor because it's not just a rumor, but there was a rumor that this week that BMW was going to launch a subscription service for heated seats. Now I, I listen, I drove a BMW for many years and my kids always liked riding in it for one reason. And one reason only in the winter, when I drove them to the bus stop the heated seats were like they went from freezing cold to boiling in about twenty seconds. I mean, you could you could fry an egg on that heated seat. In winter, it was fantastic, and, uh, and in fact, I, my BMW got totaled when I was coming into KMOX one day. So, uh, but the, I, this this rumor started that they're going to start charging a monthly subscription fee. For heated seats. And when I saw this, I thought, come on, that's a gag. They're not going to be charging a monthly fee for heated seats. And in fact, BMW of North America issued a press release a week ago to say that cars ordered with heated seats in the United States would not have to pay a subscription to use them. Uh, but here's what the quote said, and I'm looking at the exact quote. Now, listen, I read words for a living, and this is the quote. BMW of North America does not expect factory option purchase levels to change significantly going forward, unquote. Now, I emphasized the most important word in that sentence, expect. Folks, that's not a denial. It's It's not a denial. It's a we're not going to charge you right now for heated seats on a monthly basis. And when I looked into this issue, BMW actually does charge for heated seats in other countries in Europe. Now I rode on the Autobahn, uh, two weeks ago Now I was in a bus and we were only going about 60 miles an hour, but there were a lot of cars going around and uh, a lot of cars going very fast. A lot of, fancy european sports cars going very fast on the autobahn i'm sure they all had heated seats but in most of europe if you want heated seats on your bmw you've got to pay every month now how do they do that well because of the way cars now are all basically mobile internet devices so if you uh if you don't make if you don't make your monthly payment for the heated seats bmw can turn off the heated seats remotely so you get in your car, it's freezing cold, you're like, oh, this is going to be hot in about 20 seconds, I know it. You push the button, nothing happens. Whoops, I guess I didn't pay my bill. That could really happen in the United States. Like I said, they're already doing it in Europe. BMW is already doing it in Malaysia, uh, South Africa, and again, in many countries in Europe. So, you, and in fact, the the customers pay... In Europe, actually this is in England, United Kingdom. Right now, customers pay eighteen bucks a month for heated seats. Now, Matt, would you pay eighteen dollars a month to get heated seats in your BMW? Absolutely not. No, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't pay eighteen dollars. I would I might pay a few hundred bucks to get the feature when I buy the car. Yeah, one time though. Right. And then I drive the car for fifteen years and I get my money's worth. Mm-hmm. But eighteen bucks a month for heated seats? Yeah. Soon it'll be like you know a dollar each time you turn on the radio, or
2: you know they're gonna just keep going. It's gonna be more and more. <sighs> they're gonna start charging you for air conditioning all of a sudden, you know.
1: I know where does that end? I doesn't. I don't know where that ends. But uh, uh, but to me it's outrageous, and that's why as I dove into this, I thought we need to look into this. Now Kelly Blue Book, if you've ever bought a car, you've looked up Kelly Blue Book values, and they actually did a survey in April, about whether or not heated seats should be charged a monthly fee. A whopping 92% of Americans said under no circumstances are we paying a monthly fee for our heated seats. In other words, the line must be drawn here. That's what they're saying. And it's really funny, in this day of polarization, maybe politicians should pick up on this because if you've got – 92% Ninety-two percent of Americans behind you on this, boy. That's better than any polling data for any political issue today. And you could build your platform on no more heated seats, uh, monthly charges for heated seats. That's a uh, that's a tip. Maybe we might see uh, you know Eric Schmidt or Eric Reitens running on that issue next couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, you know, hey, pick a pick a popular issue and uh, and just uh, uh, absorb it as your own issue. Uh, But speaking of Europe, I got to tell you this story because this really came to mind when my family and I were in Europe two weeks ago. Uh, When I was in high school, and and listen, I grew up in a small coal mining town in southern Illinois, 5,000 people in the town. So uh, I don't want you to think that I grew up in Ladue or Clayton. Small town, rural town. Uh, If you could count higher than 10 without taking off your shoes and socks, you were at the top of your class. So, but my freshman year, instead of going to Six Flags every year, like every class did for their senior class trip, my freshman year in high school, we decided, let's go to Europe. And so we saved for four years, and we went to Europe. And I mention this because this was in 1983, and we land at Heathrow Airport. We're all 17, 18 years old. We've never been out of, been anywhere. And now all of a sudden, we're we're in England. And we're on a bus and we're going to someplace. And the guy, the guy ahead of me, his, name, his nickname was Bull. He was a big guy. He was a front lineman for our football team. And he, he turned around in the seat to me and he said, hey, Brad, I got, I got a question for you. Okay, Bull, what's your question? And he paused for a moment in a very contemplative fashion. And he said, why are there so many foreign cars over here? And let that sink in for a moment. So I said, well, Bull, I wasn't condescending in any way. I said, well, Bull, over here, you see, those cars are called domestic cars. They're not foreign cars over here. A Jaguar in England is a domestic car. Now, if you see a Chevy or a Ford or a Plymouth over here, that would be a foreign car. And he thanked me and turned around and enjoyed the rest of the trip. But there were there were a lot of foreign cars uh, in Europe, but I don't know uh, how many of them were having uh, monthly payments for the uh, heated seats. Hey, we've got a couple of more things to get to before the show is over, uh, but I want to take a break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, the bipartisan group of senators today that cut a deal to change election laws to prevent what we saw happening on January 6, I think it's a good idea. I'll break it down for you next. At your service, Camel X. Thanks for all the uh, text messages we've gotten this evening. I've been uh, I've been spending about every break responding to the text messages. So thanks for the feedback. Always, always enjoy hearing from listeners. Uh, one person that I thought I would like to hear from uh, is Alejandro Mayorkas. He is the uh, Department of Homeland Security secretary. And he was asked today in a conference, he was asked about the status of the border. Now, this has been a colossal problem not just under the Biden administration, it was a problem under the Trump administration, under the Obama administration, under the Bush administration. This is a continuing problem that just doesn't go away. And, uh, and, and we're still dealing with it. But this is what DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas said today when asked about the status of the border. Is the border safe? Now I was watching a news channel and they were talking about an invasion was happening, and I got a little concerned. Look, <laughs> um, the border, the border is secure. The border, um, we are working to make the border more secure. That has been a historic challenge. Uh, I have said to a number of legislators who expressed to me that um, we need to address the challenge at the border before um, they pass legislation. And I take issue with the math of holding the solution hostage until the problem is resolved. Now, let me break down what he said for you. He said, well, first of all, the question itself it was obviously the, the person asking the question was mocking something that he heard on Fox News. And when he used the term invasion and said that the border wasn't secure, and then you heard of the audience, there was a great deal of laughter. Well, I looked at the numbers today and over 200,000 migrants are coming into this country across the the southern border, estimated 200,000 migrants every month for the past three months. It's the most crossings in a year in history as far as crossing the border. And when they use the term invasion, and I wouldn't use the term invasion because invasion indicates a specific intent. But in the last three months, if you have 600,000 people illegally entering your country, I don't think it's a joke to call it an invasion. Now, again, I wouldn't. That wouldn't be the word that I used because that, I think, is a loaded term, invasion. It means to conquer. And I don't think the people coming into this country— are trying to conquer this country. But it's clearly a problem. But then when asked about the question, he said that the border is secure. Well, how do you define the phrase secure? Well, we can argue about the semantics of the definition of secure, but I can tell you what the definition of not secure is And that's 600,000 people coming into your country illegally over the last three months. That is a definition of not secure. So for him to say that is truly absurd. Now, he also addressed, and this is DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. He also addressed, and I'm sure he's talking about questions from Senator Cruz, probably uh, Senator Marco Rubio, and maybe even Senator uh, Rand Paul, talking about why should we change the law or address that legislatively, and he said it's like holding us hostage, that the, that the question needs to come, or the, the question or the issue, rather, needs to be resolved legislatively before it can be resolved practically. And again, I disagree with that assessment. Because there are more than sufficient laws in place right now to secure the border. But the DHS is not securing the border with the laws that are currently in place. So, Secretary Mayorkas, I would ask you, if you're not securing the border with the current laws, what makes you think that your ability to secure the border would be improved by more laws that you would not choose to follow? And I think that's a very valid point. But it just, to me, was borderline absurd for him to literally state that our border is secure when we have 600,000 people coming across the border in the last three months. I would like to know how he defines the term secure because, and to use this phrase intentionally, that ain't it. (laughs) That ain't it. The other thing I want to get to before the show gets we get out of time here this evening, is January 6th. We've seen the hearings. Uh, I was supposed to be on the air on January 6th of last year because when the riot broke out, and I'd even said leading up to January 6th that the vice president did not have any authority under the Electoral Count Act of 1887. Didn't have any authority to do anything. It's a ceremonial role. And yet President Trump's allies and and Rudy Giuliani and so forth have said, no, 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 the vice president can refuse uh, to certify the election. And that means Biden cannot be president. And that means President Trump remains in office. None of that's true. But because of the Electoral Count Act of 1887 is not the tightest drawn legislation that we've ever seen in our country, a bipartisan group of senators reached an agreement on terms today, and, I, and I'm very much, very much in favor of this to tighten up that language. So it was a group of, I believe, nine Republicans and nine no, and seven Democrats who announced this deal today. And nine Republicans isn't quite enough to make it uh, uh, filibuster proof, but it's pretty darn close. So I'm hoping that this will pass. But the general broad outlines of this legislation are as follows. First of all, it would, uh, it would focus on overhauling that Electoral Count Act of 1887. And as part of the proposal, this law would specifically clarify that the vice president's role in this is purely ceremonial. Because whether it's Vice President Harris in the next election or someone else, That role of saying the the states have certified their electors and -and so-and-so is the official winner, whoever that might be, of the election, that is not a role that has any judgment or authority or decision-making. It is truly a ceremonial role, like uh, banging the gavel to bring Congress into session. You can't say, well, I'm not going to bang the gavel so Congress isn't going to move into session. It doesn't work like that. It's a ceremonial function. And... Vice President Pence correctly said he didn't have any authority here, that it wasn't it wasn't something that he had a decision making authority over. It was simply ceremonial. So this bill would tighten that up. Also, it would prevent one or two members of Congress from holding up the certification. Now, this is where I get into lots of arguments with my liberal friends. Because when they go on and on about how terrible this was that Josh Hawley voted not to certify the election, I always do this game. I say, well, can so you from your perspective, if a congressman refuses to certify the election, a congressman or a senator. Then by definition, that person, that person's wrong and shouldn't be fit for Congress. Is that what you're saying? And of course, they say yes. And I say, oh, well, let me give you a long list of Democrats who have refused to certify an election going back the last 25 years, and in particularly during the Al uh, Gore-Bush election. And then they all, well, no, that's really not what I meant. And so then they back it up. So let's be consistent, folks. Either a person who refuses to certify the election is or is not qualified for office, and if you say yes, then there are some members of Democrats in the Congress that need to be kicked out of Congress today. Of course, you're not going to say that. But this law would fix that, and I agree with that, and my hope is is that these nine Republicans and seven Democrats can reach some consensus with other members of the House and Senate to get this passed so we don't have this nonsense following any future elections. Hey, stick around, coming up at 10 o'clock we've got the best of the Dave Glover Show. You're going to want to hear that because Glover is Glover, and it's fantastic. So make sure you stick around for that on Camo X. I'll be with you next week, so make sure you stick around on Camo X. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the
0: cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch.